We've been talking about soul care and mental health and that sort of thing this week, which has been really good. I hope there's at least been one or two things that you've been able to like kind of get a hold of and I don't know, at least make you think, if not try some new and different things. But um, a couple of weeks ago, I was reading something online and this writer was talking about the difference between self-care, which we hear a lot about that, right? Like it's all about self-care. It's like this new whatever. And she was saying what she's been trying hard to kind of like discern is the difference between self-care and self-comfort which I thought was really interesting. So as I read on, she's talking about like some of the things that we think are caring for ourselves really are just like keeping us comfortable. And so like when you binge watch Netflix, like it's not really caring for yourself. Like it's okay to do that, totally to do that sometimes. But if that's your like go-to when you're stressed, like you're not actually caring for yourself, that's self-comfort. Anyway, those types of things. And so I just thought that idea was really um, interesting because I think for sure I am more about self-comfort than about self-care, which has challenged me a little bit. And so, um, yeah, anyway, I thought that was interesting Thought I would share it with you. Uh, this morning, I wanted to talk about um, something that would be helpful and meaningful. And then I kept coming across, like, in different conversations with people and then online, the idea, well, I'll just tell you. So what first started kind of getting this going in my mind is another person that I follow. She's a, a Lutheran minister and an author. She's, she's kind of, I follow her on Instagram and stuff. And so she had posted, she does this, like, she doesn't do Q&A, like, not question and answer, but Q&O because she realizes like she doesn't have all the answers, but she has opinions. So she has like question and opinions. And so one of them, someone had asked her um, what she thought Jesus would think of the church if he were to return today. And as part of the Lutheran kind of tradition, they wear like the fancy like robes, vestments they call it, and it's like organ music really fancy. And so um, she says, I'm sure people thought she would say something about that, like Jesus would be like, what's with the fancy vestments and the organ music? Like, that's all for me. <laughs> but she says, actually, what I answered, what she really thinks is that she'd be curious, she thinks that Jesus would be curious why his church doesn't talk about forgiveness of sins nearly as much as he did. And I thought about that, and I'm like, yeah, that's really interesting. Like, the conversation, the topic of sin is really not so popular anymore. And I think we could probably just have like a whole week of chapel talks about that idea in itself. But I think like a lot of what it really comes down to, um, like the definition of sin is an offense against religious or moral law or an action that is, that is or is felt to be highly reprehensible. And so all of that language, like if you think about kind of the culture where we find ourselves in, in history at the moment, a lot of those things are like, I don't know, there's like a, a, a reaction to that, right? Because also what's more popular is like, you do you, and you only live once. And those two concepts are on the very different ends of a spectrum. And so that's where we find ourselves as people who are following 
trying to follow Jesus and living in the world. Like, how do we bring those things together? And yet, um, Jesus is very clear, um, and he talks a lot about the nece- like the necessity of forgiveness of sin. Like, his message was the kingdom of God is near, so repent and believe. And repent is like, turn from your sin. Turn and go a different way. And so, there's something about that that we have to grapple with. And the idea of sin just doesn't, I mean, it doesn't sit well with us anyway, right? Because we've missed the mark. That's what it means. God calls us to something, there's expectations, and we're, we're missing it. We're doing something that's either disobedient, you know, or involuntarily not in line with what God calls us to. And that's very uncomfortable for us. And maybe it's something small. Like, I, I have a hard time... I'm just being honest. Like, I have a hard time admitting when I'm wrong, and I'm sure I'm not the only person. Sometimes it's very easy, because it's very obvious, but in little ways, like, that's just hard. To admit you've done something wrong or accept blame when you've kind of messed something up can be really hard. And sometimes maybe it depends who, who you're having to admit that to or whatever. Um, and I don't know where that comes from, because we don't learn that. Like, even as I'm raising my children, I'm like, you have to, like, say you're sorry, like apologize. And sometimes for some people, more than others, that's so hard, like we just don't want to do that because it makes us feel like weak and wrong and we don't like that. I think that's like an intrinsic human thing. Like we just, we don't like the feeling of that. And yet that's exactly what Jesus calls us to. Like in our weakness, he is strong. And the whole big picture of the gospel, of the Bible, like if we don't, if we are unwilling or unable to admit that we are weak or that we do sin, well like what's the point? There's no point because we don't need a savior. What do we need to be saved from if we've done nothing wrong? Like what do we need God for? What do we need Jesus and the cross for if we can't acknowledge and recognize those things about ourselves? and so in a session that we live, that we listen to with our Epirea students up on our kickoff retreat, the speaker talks about, um, he says this, he says, we are marked by God, we are marred by sin, and we are remade by Christ. And he does a really great job of kind of explaining that and filling that out. But the part is like, I mean, you can't be remade, we can't be remade by Christ if we don't admit that we are marred by sin. And this is like right from the very beginning, right? Like even if you're not super familiar with the Bible, like the first stories about Adam and Eve, this, the first man and woman that do exactly what they're told not to do. They could do any, anything of millions of things. And what do they do? Like they're just drawn. Like it's, we just didn't have a chance almost. Like they're just, we are sin in our nature. We are drawn to those things that, that aren't the best for us. And so their reaction is to hide and then to blame. Well, actually, they like hide and then they deny it and then they blame. And so that, at that point, began a cycle that we continually just live out in our day to day. And yet it's a cycle that isolates us because hiding breaks down relationship and denying, especially when the truth is obvious, like breaks trust with people. Like, there's nothing worse when you're like, I saw you do that. I didn't do that. 
yeah, you know, like that doesn't build trust in relationships, right? And then, you know, blaming somebody is kind of the same thing. Like, anyway, it leads us to a place of hurt and shame and loneliness and isolation. And so this leads me, kind of comes into now the topic of mental health that we've been talking about because hurt and loneliness and isolation is not a great place to be. That's like the exact opposite of what um, Andrew was talking about earlier this week about safety and strength and significance, right? The needs that we have, like hurt and isolation and shame and loneliness lead to anxiety and depression, which lead to hurt and shame and isolation and loneliness. So we find ourselves in this really, um, yeah, really sad and really lonely place. But without recognizing sin and acknowledging our need for forgiveness, we aren't able to participate in the glory of God's redemption. Like, this is exactly what God came to save us from, what Jesus came to save us from. And so without participating in that, there's like, there's no hope and there's no resurrection. And so the woman that I talked about earlier, who's like the Lutheran minister, her name's Nadia, um, she's all about, she talks a lot about resurrection. And so um, the most obvious story, obviously, is Jesus, right? Being resurrected from the dead. And um, in a larger way, though, he, God's purpose is to bring life to places of death, whatever that looks like. And she uses the illustration that, you know, all the decisions that we make that don't bring life are just little, little places of death. That's what we're, what we're kind of accumulating. And so imagine, like, it's like, you know, sin is kind of like that. Like, you start digging. And you're like, it's not a big deal. Like, you're just making a little hole. But on and on it goes. You're digging and digging. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves in this hole and you can't see out, and you can't climb out on your own. And that's like what sin is, and what we've dug for ourselves is kind of like a grave. We have created this place where there's no life and no hope, and we need help. And so without acknowledging that we need to get out of the hole, we can't acknowledge and see that Jesus is like just ready and waiting to reach his hand in and pull us out and bring life because that is what God's about is resurrection and bringing life and so I mean it sounds great and it would be really nice and it is really nice but when we find ourselves locked in these patterns um, you know of being more concerned maybe about what other people are going to think about us or what we look like, you know, from the outside, then it's easier and we kind of default to the hiding and the blaming and the denying. Um, And so maybe that's even about, like it happens in just such subtle ways, like maybe that's about your grades, you know? You're like, yeah, I wanna do my best, I wanna try my hardest and do the best that I can. And slowly that, there's like a bit of a gray space and then you find yourself in a position where, you know, you. Instead of just doing our best, we begin believing that it's our grades and that is our identity and that defines who we are and our value and our worth and that it's only our grades and those things that we're trying to do that are going to decide our hope and our future and the money that we're going to make to be able to have the life that we want and all of a sudden we've lost, you've lost dependence on God because you don't need God in that scenario, you're doing it on your own. 
It's about the effort and the, like, on your own strength that, um, and trusting in your own capabilities to achieve, right? And so then you end up in a place where you need to be distracted from the anxiety and numbed from the stress. And then again, we're in that, the cycle. Or maybe it's just you're overwhelmed by the reality of the world that we're living in these days. Like the wars and the environment, injustice, like there's so much stuff. Or maybe it's just something in your own life that feels so, so huge. And, and we just want to disconnect from the big feelings and the hard things that we're going through. And so to disconnect and numb through like, you know, binge watching something or pornography or online shopping or any, any number of many, many things that give, that kind of fix that temporarily um, lead us to a place where we are isolated and we feel shame and we're alone. And that's just not good for mental health, obviously, because um, it feels just hopeless, right? There's a story in the book of Luke, um, Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 50. And in this story, Jesus has been invited to a religious leader's house. So he's there. And um, yeah, it's just an interesting, an interesting story. And it just seems like all of a sudden, this woman who they describe, um, who had lived a sinful life in that town, she doesn't have a name. She's just described by the, her sin. And um, this is one of my, my favorite stories in the Bible. And especially in my early 20s, when God first got a hold of my life, I felt like, um, yeah, I just really resonated with this, with this woman. And the story is so beautiful. And so she just seemingly appears at the table, which is really weird. I don't know exactly how that would have happened. But she's crying like she's washing his feet with her tears and she's drying her feet with his, with his hair and she's like got this super expensive perfume that she's putting on his feet and the Pharisee in the story is watching and totally, just totally judging her and Jesus picks up on it and calls, and calls him out on it and so this is how the rest of the story goes. So Jesus says, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he says. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender, and one owed him 500 denarii and the other 50, and neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now which of them would love him more? And Simon replied, well, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. And then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house, you did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. And therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. And Jesus says to her, your sins are forgiven. And the other guests begin grumbling, who is this person who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And there's just, there is such a beauty in that story. Your sins have been forgiven. Your faith has saved you. She knew she was sinful. She knew 
she needed forgiveness. And that's the key piece. Um, I've been taking school, schooling for counseling psychology, and one of the last courses that I took is, was on trauma. And so it's pretty well agreed upon that there are like three stages, like when you boil it down and simplify it, to healing from, from trauma and different mental health issues. And the first one is safety. And so whether that means like just immediate physical safety, like when something like that happens, when you are unsafe, you need to be brought into a safe place. You also need a safe place to begin processing and healing with a safe person. And so that's the first step. The second stage is remembrance and mourning. And so that's just acknowledging and having someone else witness and bear witness to what happened, the acknowledging and remembering of the hurt and the trauma and mourning, perhaps. Maybe there, like, there's grief associated with that. And the third one is reconnection. So what supports do you need in place to be able to continue to grow and heal, whether those are like personal and like relationships with your family, maybe with a community, um, or just larger like social structures that you need to be able to maybe like leave the relationship that's causing the trauma or whatever. Um, and I just love that because as we were learning about this, and we can, like we see this in the story of the woman. So, I mean, she went into an, typical, like an unsafe place, like the Pharisee's house for this prostitute really, was not going to be a safe place, and yet there was something about Jesus that she knew was safe and willing to take that risk to go there. And when it comes to remembrance, we read of that in the story as well. He didn't glaze over her sin, her life, the choices she had made, and there's something about that, about being seen, even when the hurt is something maybe by choices that we have made, to acknowledge that there is freedom, and Jesus does that. And then there's the reconnection. And so, like as I imagine that, as the woman got up when Jesus said, like, go, your faith has set you free, I'm sure she didn't just run home. Like, she went to go to her family, or to friends, or maybe just to the first person that she ran into in the, in the street, right? Like, you'll never believe what happened. And there's that reconnection that she experiences, which is just so amazing. And you over and over, when you read of the instances of Jesus in the Gospels, um, we see these stages happening for people as they experience healing. And healing and forgiveness are just so interconnected. And so, like another story, the prodigal son, which is the son, you know, gets his inheritance early and runs away and just wastes the money on whatever, partying and crazy living and women and different things and finds himself, he's sitting in like the pig slop thinking these pigs are eating better than I am and I just, I wanna go home. And so as he goes, you see the same thing. He recognizes that home offers safety and so he goes and the dad who is the picture of, of God is waiting with his arms open, like running toward him down the road. And the son does the remembering in the morning. He says, I have sinned against you and I have sinned against God. And the dad is like, come, we are going to feast and we are gonna celebrate. You will be reconnected to this family and to your community. And there's healing, there's forgiveness and there's healing. And it's just so, so beautiful. 
Um, and there are just so many more stories that we can read and that fit that pattern. And I'm not suggesting, absolutely not, don't hear me saying that mental health is the result of like unforgiven sin. That's not, I'm not saying that at all. What I am saying though is that in those stages, whether it's because of choices that we are making, habits that we are perpetuating in our own life, or whether it's because of choices that just have happened to us out of no effort of our own, and it feels like life is against you. There's always things, there are all things that, that hurt us and that don't bring life to our situations, and it can only help to be open about those things, to be vulnerable about what our weaknesses are and maybe where we have sinned or where there's just darkness and we need help um, to have that support. And so... In James 5, verse 16, we read, Confess your sins to each other, and pray to each other, and pray for each other, so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Like, God knows that we are not perfect. He does not think and for any moment that we are perfect. Sometimes maybe we think each other are perfect, but we know that. Nobody is perfect. I am not perfect. The person sitting next to you right now is not perfect. And yet, like if we kind of live and we want to act like we are, like there's nothing wrong and everything's fine, we put these masks on. But we're all hurting and we all need forgiveness. We all have these places where we wish someone could just see us and journey with us toward health. And um, that is really what God is all about. And the beautiful thing is that forgiveness like, forgiveness from God does not include begging. It does not include any judgment. It doesn't include shame or having to feel these, like, obscene amounts of guilt for what we've done, even though sometimes that's our experience, right? But God doesn't require that. He just requires us to acknowledge and ask for forgiveness, which is a gift. We just have to receive it. It's like we're in the hole, and sometimes we dig these holes daily, and we just need to be like, yep, <laughs> here I am again. Can you, can you help me out? And um, he's so willing to do that. It looks like the woman taking the risk at the Pharisee's house and, or the wayward child returning home knowing what the choices that they've made. But there's, there is just that honest reception. God just wants us to return. And so my challenge for us this morning is twofold. First, I hope that there's somebody in your life that maybe you can already do this with, which is amazing, and maybe you need to find that person, which isn't always easy, but um, it sometimes just takes risk. And those of us in the SLC would be honored, it would be a privilege for us to journey um, with you in those places and find a friend. Um, and second, if you are that friend, if someone comes to you and um, they see you as their safe place, it's such an honor. And so my, my challenge is just to, to be safe. Like suspend your judgment, even if you don't know what to do or you're a little surprised, just listen and offer the forgiveness and the grace like that God gives you in those situations in your own life. And we're called to do that together. Confess our sins so that we can be forgiven and um, 
experience the wonderful results. In one of the versions of the, the, the story of the woman, it says, she was forgiven many, many sins, and so um, she is very, very grateful. And I think um, that just sounds really great. Like, I want to live a very, very grateful life, and I hope um, that you guys do too. And so let me pray for us as we go. Lord, we thank you that you are the parent figure with open arms. And would we really be able to take that to heart? Would we accept the gift that you have of forgiveness for us? And would we be that for the people in our own lives? And so would you go with us from here? And uh, we ask that you would do that in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, Senior Guys Foundry today. Tomorrow is Super Friday, and on Monday and Tuesday, we have a really great two-day um, series from Derek Parento about indigenous, he works with indigenous people, he's a missionary, it's gonna be awesome, but you should come both days and bring a friend. Okay, thanks, bye.